Morning, North Park Church. Uh, this morning, we're going to be going through 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. Uh, if you don't have a physical copy of God's Word, there's a few copies um, on, the, on the back welcome table. That's Northbrook's gift to you if you do not have one. Well, you can open up to chapter 2, verse 4, or you can follow along on the screen. As you come to him, a living stone... Rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and the stone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. This is the word of the Lord. Let's see if I got this thing. Yep, okay. So having all kinds of mic trouble, having all kinds of facial hair trouble, but we're getting it figured out. It's growing back a little bit, so y'all will recognize me maybe in a week or so. I think I'm at like the... Uh, maybe mature sophomore in high school kind of stage right now. Um, I don't ever get much further than that, uh, but you know, it's, uh, we'll, we'll get there together. So uh, we wanna do, I'm gonna do a couple more things with you before we uh, hop into 1 Peter. Um, and uh, one, uh, one of the things I think about as we come to church, um, obviously there's, there's a way that we gather uh, to hear from God's word, for the word to be preached, to, to sing together. People lead us in song. And so there's a responsive, like we're, we're active in those things. We're not just passive. We're not just sitting and, and uh, being passive, but we're actively engaged and seeking the Lord. And then there's times where we get to be active, where we get to uh, call in response as we install a deacon. Uh, and then when we get to pray for one another. And so one of the things we're going to do real quick is actually pray for a family that uh, Northbrook's sending out. Um, and so this is actually Dan and Reagan's uh, last official Sunday here because they have chosen Dallas. And we don't have to talk about that part right now. Um, but they, uh, job, different things have, have taken them uh, to Dallas and uh, a couple things. So I don't know if you remember this, but we launched in March of 2020. And so, uh, you know, a couple things going on in that season. And so the reason, one of the big reasons we were able to even go virtual, have uh, Sunday gatherings virtually and all of that is because of uh, Dan's uh, gifts and abilities that, that God's given him and his sacrifices, but also Reagan's sacrifices uh, as he was at my house every Sunday helping us make th those things happen. And so uh, they've been a blessing to us in that way. And then obviously, even now as they faithfully serve and kids and scripture reading and uh, different ways now. And so we just wanted to uh, pray for them and send them out. And so if y'all just stand right where you're at, and then if you know Dan and Reagan, you can come over uh, to them. And here's what we're going to take just a couple minutes. Um, and I'm going to say this part clearly because you're, you're not going to want to do it because you're going to feel uncomfortable. Uh, we're all going to pray out loud together for them. Like, so what's typical is one person prays, another person prays, and that's what we feel. It's like our safe zone. Uh, it's weird when we all pray together, but why not multiply prayers? Why not give God all kinds of prayers on behalf of Dan and Reagan and thankfulness uh, for them? And so uh, if you're over there, y'all can just all, when we start praying, uh, y'all can pray out loud together for them, um, and then I'll close us uh, and praying for them. And they, y'all didn't know we were going to do this. Did you? Did you know? Oh, you did. Okay. 
Sorry, I, didn't, I don't remember either way. So just you never know if you might come get prayed for at church. Who knows? Uh, but uh, yeah, let's go ahead and pray for Dan and Reagan. God, I just thank you for this family. Thank you for knowing them. Thank you for saving them. Thank you for their beautiful little kiddos. Um, Spirit, I thank you even right now. I'm just, I find great comfort that their stories are, are known by you. Even as we've gotten to walk with them and gotten to know them and they've gotten to know us, uh, you know them completely and fully. And so uh, as you are in Dallas, as you go with them, as you guide them into this next step, you they are known completely and fully by you and what great comfort there is there. And so thank you for a family that we've gotten to love and that uh, they have gotten to share their love with us. And uh, just what a, what a joy. Um, and so pray that you would bless them as they go. Pray that as they stop in from Northbrook from time to time, we would get to enjoy them and see them again. But uh, we, we know that you will and we ask for you to uh, bless them and keep them. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, and so one other thing I wanted to, love y'all, uh, one other thing I wanted to mention is, so this, not tonight, but next Sunday, we have uh, a member meeting, and I uh, wanted to invite y'all to that, wanted y'all to, um, even just wanted to kind of clarify, like when we talk about a uh, member meeting, what we're hopeful that you'll hear in that moment is not like boring Baptist meeting, uh, but like uh, as a church body, as a family, it may, may be even better to call it like a family meeting, like that, that's what the scripture calls us, is a family, especially those that, I mean, all any Christian we're a family with, but when we've joined together as this local body, we are saying, hey, I am part of this family. And so we're coming together to do what the Lord has called us to do, the one another's, that we're to encourage one another, to hear from one another, to eat with one another, uh, to love one another. And so those are the things we'll hear from uh, different members and how God's encouraged them uh, in uh, the past uh, several uh, months or years, and uh, we'll hear stories of God's grace in people's lives. We'll have time to pray for one another. We'll have times uh, to talk about the ways that we need prayer, um, and then we'll talk and pray about what we're doing as a church and ask God to, like, again, we, we make plans, but one of the reasons we come together as a church is because they're just that. They're plans that we're trying and praying and hoping that, the, that God will bless and use, and so this is our opportunity to, to do that very thing. It's like, hey, God, here's our fish and loaves, that we're, we're praying are, are of your uh, work, but God, we, we need you. We need you to bless them. We need you to multiply them. We need you to do what only you can do. And so when you hear member meeting, hopefully you hear, come and gather together to worship the triune God of the universe and seek him uh, together as a family. And, and then we'll talk about the budget as well. <laughs> Um, but, you know, you got to do, do that stuff, too. And so because we got to talk about the budget because we'll vote on it here uh, in a few weeks. Um, and so that's not 
again, not tonight, but next Sunday. So we do provide childcare. Uh, crush your fingers. Uh, it's hard to find childcare. We, we like pay people. It's still hard to find people to do it. But so you can pray for that even leading up to a member meeting. And then we will uh, provide food as well. So if anything, I mean, you get a free dinner out of it. Um, and sorry, I shouldn't have motivated you with that there at the end, but I did. <laughs> But you will. So, but we do need you to register for for those reasons. Um, and so, uh, one of our values as a church is uh, something that we want to be about. Something that we want, as I think, as people come and experience Northbrook, even if it's through a Sunday gathering, if it's through a community group, if it's through a go, if it's through anything that we're doing. Like, there's there, these values are, are what we kind of want people to, even if they can't articulate it, they kind of feel it. And, and all churches have these kinds of things. We were just driving to a restaurant last night and passed a church that said on its sign, it said, bring your brain. What said, bring your Bible and bring your brain. I thought, okay, that's not horrible. But I thought, I do not want to be known by that. I, 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 don't, want church, I don't want Northbrook to, like, oh, you really got to bring your brain if you're going to uh, Northbrook. And I thought, I mean, again, they, they're probably, I, I, and I love to read. I love to read books that many of you have never even heard about. I mean, I love intellectual things. Uh, but as far as a church and who we are and what people want to catch, that, that's not uh, what we want people to walk away with. And, and many of you have had, had this maybe a similar experience to me, is when you started going to church and you're in a church with a bunch of people that love Jesus and were living for him. You love Jesus and you're trying to live for him. But there was this idea that you came to believe in Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins. Um, but then you thought, okay, I've done that part, and now I need to kind of do all these other things to become a better Christian, to mature in my faith. And, and those other things are things that I would encourage and I would endorse, but we kind of leave the gospel separate from those things. Like we need to pray, and we need to read our Bible, and we need to give to the church, and we need to serve, and we need to sacrifice, and we need to do all those things, which are all things that you do need to be doing, but they're in no way, and this is what I did, hopefully you haven't, but there's no way separate from the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. And at one point in my life, that just, that, that light, I mean, I love Jesus already, but that, that light switch got turned on, and I realized, oh, I never get over this gospel thing. I never get over what Jesus has done for me. And, and it's just so this value as a church, it's, it's that. It's this gospel centrality. It's that in our life, in our conversations, in our hopes, in our habits of uh, desiring to seek after the Lord, whatever they may be, that we never get over or leave the gospel behind in any way. And that, if, again, if people hang out at Northbrook or people spend time with members at Northbrook or people come to our community groups, we'd want them to walk away with, oh, man, those people really make a big deal about, about this gospel thing. Um, th- those people, they're not about bringing your brain to church. They're not about intellectual. They're not about this. They're not about that. They're about this gospel that, that uh, God has given us that we see in our Lord Jesus, and, and that's what they are about. And, and one of the reasons I love First Peter, and, and it just along with many other books of the Bible, is they are like a, a treaty on gospel centrality. Like, like Peter, he, he just, he talks about the gospel, he comes back to the gospel, he exhorts us, but then he can't like exhort us without continuing to come back to the gospel and reiterating uh, the hope that we have and who Jesus is uh, and what he has done for us. That's what he continues to do. We see that uh, just a, like a recap of gospel centrality in First Peter. We see that in First Peter 1 and 2, he begins with the gospel. And verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ 
and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. So he starts with the gospel. Then in verses three through five, he celebrates the salvation that the gospel brings to life. In verses six through nine, then he encourages us with the hope of the gospel, even in the face of suffering. And then in verses 10 through 12 in chapter one, he points to the Old Testament prophets and he points to the angels to show the epicness of this gospel story that we have all been invited into. In verses 13 through 21, he shows how these gospel-centered thoughts lead to a holy gospel-centered life, which catches us up to the last couple weeks uh, where Peter has taught us about sincere brotherly love. Not a legalistic, robotic love, but because we have tasted the sweet, overflowing love of Christ, we take that love to one another. We have this gospel-centered love for one another. And he talks about us fleeing from the things that get in the way uh, of that love. It's this picture of a gospel-centered church family that we pray that God would continue to make us. But if that isn't enough overflowing gospel goodness, today Peter calls the suffering Christians in Asia Minor and and us as well to, to lift our gaze and to peer upon and see the Christ of this gospel. That's what Peter is going to draw our attention to today. And we're going to see, as we look upon this Jesus of the gospel, we're going to see that he, Jesus, this, this, this gospel that's centered around him, Jesus makes this gospel immovable, and Jesus makes this gospel delightful. So just two points for you today. Jesus makes the gospel immovable, and Jesus makes the gospel delightful. Look at verse 4 there. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, we'll get to that later, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. And so you see this idea of cornerstone and living stone quoted a lot through this passage. And uh, the, the Jewish leaders would have been really familiar with this uh, title. He, Peter's actually quoting Psalm 118.22. I think this will be on the screen for you. It says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So that's what Peter's thinking about when he's talking about Jesus being the living stone. He's talking about this cornerstone idea, which is basically the most important part of the foundation, uh, that this, this cornerstone is the, the, the foundation of the temple that would be built to worship God. And, and Peter, in, in Psalm 118, is saying that, that Jesus is actually this cornerstone. Um, in Psalm 118, it says the stone that was rejected has become the cornerstone. So it's even just this kind of idea, and we see this in, uh, when this is quoted in uh, Isaiah 28 too, that there's kind of this choice. There's the idea that we can pick a couple different stones. There's the one that uh, we've rejected, and that's actually the stone that God is pointing to and saying, that's actually the stone you should choose. There's a stone that you did choose. Uh, you rejected this one, and you chose this one. And Peter is saying, the one that you rejected is actually the one that is from me, not the one made by men, not the one chosen by men, but the one that God himself has actually chosen. Um, and, and one of the reasons we, we, uh, we, we see this reality in, in regards to Jesus being the living stone, that, that this cornerstone, the foundation of our faith and, and that he, has, he is the only one that is going to make uh, our, our faith and our, our, our life immovable. 
The, the reality is we, we choose in so many other things that are, that are quite movable, and Jesus is the only one in, in all of creation that is actually immovable. We know this about Jesus. Jesus is immovable because he's eternal. We know in John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is immovable because all things were created through him. All stones that have ever been created have been created through Jesus. Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And Jesus is immovable because he is the most powerful being in the universe. Listen to Colossians 1.17 again. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The reason that there are any stones in existence is because Jesus right now, by the word of his power, as Hebrews says, is holding those very stones together. He is all-powerful. And then Jesus is also immovable because he has been chosen by the Father. Do you see that? That Jesus is the living stone that's chosen and precious. And, and what's beautiful about Jesus being chosen by the Father is because Jesus is eternal and the Father is eternal. We know this is, this is going to break our brains. Jesus has been chosen eternally. Like he is chosen by the Father as his object of affection, of love, eternally. Like that's the kind of relationship that Jesus and the Father have with one another. Jesus is chosen by the Father in that way. But Jesus is not just chosen in that way, and this is why he's the foundation of redemption. Jesus was chosen to be the very foundation of our redemption. The second person of the Trinity that would come and be born of a virgin to live a perfect life, to die on the cross for our sin, to resurrect from the grave to ascend and intercede and pray for the saints even now. Je Jesus was chosen to play that role in our redemption, the, the foundation of our redemption. Um, it's what we see again in Isaiah 28 that uh, Peter is alluding to again. Isaiah 28, 16 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone. We see that again. A sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. Again, we have these two options. You can choose the stone over here. It looks good. It seems like it might be helpful, but it's not the right choice. But I have a perfect, immovable living stone that you should choose. In Isaiah 28, there's a particular struggle that uh, God's pressing against. Is, it's Israel is actually looking to align with Egypt just to survive. And I feel like God's like, do you not remember? Do you remember how that went the one time when y'all were with Egypt? And yet here you are. You, have, you can choose. You can put your faith and put your trust in me. Uh, or you can make this earthly alliance. Um, and so what Israel is doing is they're choosing that earthly alliance that stone that is movable, uh, a nation that could be here today and gone tomorrow, and, and they're choosing to make that the, the root of their, their redemption, their salvation, their hope. Like, this will save us. Um, it, surely it can't be too hard for us to apply that to ourselves. Like, how often in our life we have the, the option, we have the ability to go to Jesus and trust in him fully and completely with the struggles, with the fears, with the anxieties that, that plague us. But how often we, we don't choose that stone. 
We don't choose the firm foundation that we have in Jesus, but we choose something that is here today and gone tomorrow. We choose, we trust in all the typical things. We trust in riches. We trust in men's approval. We trust in a job. We trust in a relationship. We trust in a nation. Uh, We do so many of those same things. Um, And God is pointing us in in a completely different directions. Again, you have a choice to put your hope in foundations that are movable, or we can come to Jesus, the chosen and precious living stone, and, and put our hope in him. It, it reminds me of a conversation I was having this week with actually a friend. He, he doesn't go to Northbrook, but he's been around a good bit and loves Northbrook, and he was just talking about Northbrook, and he was like, man, it just seems as though uh, your family is thriving, and you're able to minister out of that. And I didn't have time to get into this with him, but when he said that statement, I've never almost felt a, a more untrue statement spoken over me in that moment. Like, like if you look back on my family this week, you would describe that as anything but thriving. Um, you, you really would. It was, it was a really rough week. And in that moment, it was kind of like right when I was, it was like the roughness of the rough. Um, and, and, but, but by God's grace, I'm dwelling, I'm studying, I'm considering this passage. And there was just a sweetness that came over me in that moment that thought, you know, by God's grace, sometimes that is true. We're flourishing and maybe, you know, walking out of that, but it wasn't true in that moment. But you know what? Jesus was still flourishing in that moment, that, that he is the firm foundation, that he is Northbrook's hope. Northbrook is, is not, is, well, I hope not, hoping in my family always being thriving uh, so that Northbrook's going to go well. Uh, we, that's, that's a, that, is a, uh, that is not a firm foundation. Uh, but, but I got to, in that moment, realize, man, Jesus is a firm foundation. I get to, it felt so freeing to realize, no, man, I don't have to trust in that. I don't have to put my faith in that. I don't have to make that happen because Jesus is, is our, anything that needs to be made happen, Jesus has done. And, and so we get to hope uh, and trust in him, not even our ability uh, to flourish or do everything that we think uh, we might need to. The simple question, what foundations are you trusting in? that you need to lay down and start trusting in the immovable foundation of Jesus. And it could be even like that, like I was saying earlier with that gospel centrality. They might be good things. They might be things you need to even continue to do. But Jesus is far from them. Jesus is not connected to them. Jesus is not uh, the the foundation of your hope in that moment. Uh, What are you putting your hope in uh, that you need to uh, either lay down and stop doing and turn to Jesus and put your hope there, or even seek Jesus as you continue to do whatever else that might be. What foundations are you trusting in that you need to lay down and turn to Jesus? So Jesus makes the gospel immovable, and then he he makes the gospel delightful. Again, we see in verse 4, he isn't just chosen, he isn't just this living stone, but he's precious. And Peter repeats it, so we know it's important. In verse 6, he says again, he's a cornerstone, chosen and precious. As Peter lifts our gaze to Jesus, he wants us to see that he is beautiful, that he is to be delighted in, that he's just simply, just in and of his essence, he's worthy to be considered and delighted in. That's what Jesus is, uh, that's what Jesus is and what Peter is wanting us to see. And his beauty is, I think, you know, as we think about beautiful things, we think about even beautiful people, Jesus' beauty is so much deeper. Uh, even Isaiah 53 speaks of Jesus in his incarnation. It says, for he grew up 
before him like a young plant and like a root of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Like there's this earthly beauty that we think of, but Jesus' beauty is so much more than that. I even think about Proverbs 31:30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is in vain. That vain beauty is, is what we often run after. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That there's this inner beauty. Again, first, uh, Peter will talk about this here in, in the next chapter. But, but here's the, the thing, that, that Jesus isn't just, it's not just logical to trust Jesus. Like it is logical, like if you could choose a firm foundation or a shaky foundation, the firm foundation is the logical choice. Like that's not hard to think through. Um, Sometimes it's hard to us believe that Jesus is that and we, we have to work through that. But, but the thing about the gospel, the thing about this Jesus that we worship is he's also, um, he, he's just everything. He's, he's inspiring, he's beautiful, he's precious. Like it's not, again, like, like uh, the, Peter is taking us just out of the logical reality of choosing Jesus because I've figured out that's the right choice to there's this, again, it's even that conversation earlier when I realize, oh man, I get to trust Jesus here. There's a freedom and a sweetness that comes with that because he is trustworthy. Um, he, he's, not just, he's not just immovable. Uh, he's not just the firm foundation. He's also precious and beautiful. Um, and I, I think our best clues to delighting in Jesus is this w- in this way is to see how God the Father delights in Jesus. Look at Matthew 17, verse 5. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, God the Father could have said so many things that would have been incredibly true about Jesus. But I just think, like, beloved. And someone I'm well pleased, like if you are a parent or if you are a kid and your parent has said, I'm so pleased with you. Um, if you're a parent and you said, man, I'm so pleased with you, or you've heard that from your parent, you, you feel delighted in. You feel like there is joy that has been taken just by, what you're, just by who you are and what's going on that the Father delights in Jesus. Guys, the gospel is not just this formulaic thing that we're trying to figure out. It's a relational thing, and we say that, but we just miss it so often, that we have a God that loves us, that we have a, a relational God when, within and of the, the triune reality of who God is, uh, and we're invited into that delight. And so when we see that the Father delights in Jesus, we should do the same. Uh, Matthew, uh, also, he quotes Isaiah 42, 1, uh, speaking of Jesus, but I'm just going to read it from Isaiah 42, 1. This is the Father, Isaiah speaking prophetically about Jesus, the Father to the Son. Behold my servant whom I, I'm up, sorry, behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Like the soul, the soul, like the Father eternally delights in Jesus. That should be our clue that, oh man, if, I, if I'm going to be blown away by something, if I'm going to gaze upon something, if I'm going to get wrapped up in some truth and some reality, there is an eternal amount of delight to be had in the Lord Jesus in this way. And because he's a good God, he's given us so many other things to delight in. As I said earlier, he's the cre- we live in a beautiful world, but because we have a beautiful Savior. He's made beautiful things. 
He's made beautiful people. He's made beautiful mountains. He's made, there's, there's so much beauty in this world, and we see it through a mirror dimly. Um, he's made it beautiful, uh, but, but he is truly the essence of beauty. There is nothing more beautiful than Jesus. There really isn't. Um, and yet we find him boring. We struggle to consider him. Um, it's a sign of the brokenness in our own hearts and our own lives. But the eternal Father delights in the eternal Son. So we should do the same. Just think, when was the last time you've been with Jesus and delighted in him? Jesus is as real right now as he has ever been. As when the Father spoke that word over him, as when Isaiah prophesied about him, as when he walked the earth, he's just as real now and just as much there to be delighted in as in any of those times. When was the last time you've been with Jesus and delighted with him in that way? And I don't want to hold this over us as a law, as like not all of our prayer times are going to be this delightful, incredible experience with Jesus. But as a Christian, we should desire that. We should desire that kind of intimacy and delight with Jesus in that way. I was just uh, talking to a buddy. We were on a walk talking the other day, uh, and I was mentioning Tim Keller. He was uh, talking about life and ministry and one of the things that has actually kept him accountable through the years. And he's like, you know, I've, I, me and Kathy, my wife, speak openly and honestly. I have good friends that are talking to me about my sin that I'm confessing my sin to. But he's like, here's the thing. I need all of that. We all need all of that. He's like, I could lie to them. I, you know, they, they can't make me not do that. I could still. But he's like, there's something about a, a sweetness and an intimacy with Jesus that actually holds me accountable. That, 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 there, there's just something there. Um, and, and when that's completely absent of our, in our life and not a pursuit in our life in any way, there's more freedom in an unhealthy way. But when we desire that sweetness and that intimacy with Jesus because he is the only one completely worthy of our uh, delight, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, an accountability that that brings into our life. So when was that last time for you? What does that look like for you? Do you, do you seek that? I encourage you, just maybe even this week, seek to find space. And, and again, don't overdo it. Don't think, man, I'm going to do that every, every morning this week from 5 to 7.30, and it's going to be great. No, you're not. Um, if you do, you can tell me I was wrong. I doubt I hear from anybody. Um, but uh, just think of one time. Think of one extra space you could create in this week where you can just set time, get, get alone, and seek the Lord. There are a couple of ways this has happened for me where it's been really encouraging. I was, in, uh, I was going through getting my bachelor's degree at the age of 30, just in case anybody was curious. Uh, and uh, this, uh, one of my professors, he assigned, like he was just being really cheeky, and he was like, okay, you can uh, take this really long exam, or you can get alone with Psalm 23 for 20 minutes and completely still and uh, do that. You can choose whichever one you wanted to do, obviously. Chose Psalm 23, and Psalm was really f- familiar with. But there's, I would, I, you know, I'd obeyed the teacher and I got alone and it was 20 minutes just me and Psalm 23 and dwelling on it and it was incredible (laughs) it it was just incredible Um, and so maybe it's something like that for you Uh, another thing that worked the one thing that I really enjoy is just getting alone with rich theological Jesus exalting music and, and seeking him as I pray and listen and read the scriptures and worship God on my own there was this one time I would do this uh 
I do this more when I was single. I lived with my brother a long time ago when I was 20. Me and Ginger were dating, and she had come over for a date, and my brother was there, and he was like, hey, just wait right here. And I didn't really know all of this was going on, but I was listening to a CD of some great worship music. I don't remember what it was and that many years ago, uh, and I was just singing my heart out. And so she sat in my living room listening to me sing to Jesus in my room, which is just not a beautiful sound. Um, and... Uh, but, but those kinds of moments, do you, do, you, do you create space in your life? I would encourage you this week, whatever that might look like for you, uh, create some space. Create 30 minutes to an hour and get alone and seek Jesus in this way and just desire to delight in him. Desire to delight in this Jesus. And then Peter shows us that ultimately there are only two responses to this immovable, beautiful Jesus. Verse 6, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. What a promise, friends. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, it's the other option, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So we see he, he elaborates in a couple different ways, but it's two options, to believe in Him, or to reject him. That's what we have to do with Jesus. And I love how um, he calls him this rock of offense because we all have to be offended by Jesus initially. Like none of us get out of being offended by Jesus. To come and place your faith and to believe in Jesus is to say, I am wrong and you are right. I am sinful and I am broken and I don't have what I need inside me to fix it and you have done all of those things. And to, this may be a small offense, it may be a large offense, but none of us escape offense when we come to uh, believe in Jesus. That is the reality. But again, one of, the, and one of the ways we reject him is we try to minimize that offense. We try to make Jesus a little more palatable so we, have to be, we can be less offended. I think maybe I've shared this story before, but it was uh, Christopher Hitchens. Uh, I think he was in the hospital. He was talking to a nurse, and uh, Christopher Hitchens, a famous atheist, and he was, uh, the nurse was just telling him, trying to relate and be like, hey, you know, I'm a Christian, uh, but you know what? I don't like believe like the Bible's completely true. You know, I don't really believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead or was born of a virgin. And then Christopher Hitchens, the, the famous atheist said, well, then you're not a Christian in any real sense of the word. Um, and, and what she was doing was making Jesus less offensive, more palatable to her and still trying to claim them. But this is what we do, you know, even if we're not a Christian, if we're an atheist, or in a, even a pluralistic view, like we take some of Jesus and, and leave some of them behind. But the reality is Jesus is Jesus. He just is. All of those other things are some other God in our own making. That's what they are. Like we have fashioned this Jesus of our mind, and, and he's less offensive to me. But you have to reckon with Jesus and who he is. Uh, and be offended and continue to offend, be offended or be offended and bow before him. Um, and I like what it says, how we uh, stumble towards. Like the idea of the stone that the devil has rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a, and a rock of offense. And, and I, I, the, the picture I get there is that we're all trying to figure this thing out. And we come to Jesus and we believe in him or we can continue to stumble over him. But we're searching. Like, we can't help but to do that. Atheists are searching. 
There's a, another, it's actually Christopher Hitchens' brother, Peter Hitchens, is that right? Uh, he, uh, he talks about how atheist is, never, is usually not, you know, the stopping place. Atheist is typically people actually really searching to try to figure out what this thing's all about. Um, and often uh, it's just kind of this midpoint uh, as they continue on that road. But it's this stone of stumbling. They're stumbling towards something. It's active. None of us are just sitting here being passive. In one way or another, whether it's to run after the, the desires of our flesh or philosophy or whatever it is, we're all trying to figure this thing out. And Jesus is saying, come to me. I am the only firm foundation. Um, and so that's, those are your options. Um, I would encourage you, if you've not, lay down your pride and come to him now. And, those for us, the, and for those of us that are Christians, we have, again, just this temptation to view Christianity as this formulaic kind of religion. It's like what I was saying earlier. If we say the right prayers or if we can just go to the right events, uh, we just have this kind of missing piece. There's always this missing piece to our faith. And if we just get that piece, it'll kind of click and things will be better. I'll feel bitter, better about my faith and everything will just start to, to work a little bit more. And then we just realize that there's always this kind of missing piece. And then even when we get the piece, we realize the piece wasn't not as good as we thought it was going to be. And what we're doing is, is leaving behind the firm foundation of our faith. Jesus is that piece for all of us. Uh, there, there, there is no other place to go, no other formula. Those are all kind of man-centered approaches uh, and are going to be flimsy foundations. Throughout First Peter, this is what Peter, he's wanting us to see, because I think even some of those times, it, the reality is that there's brokenness in our world, there's suffering in our lives, and we just don't like it. And Peter is trying to tell us, there is always going to be suffering in your life until you die. That's what Peter is he's saying. There is going to be suffering present in every one of our lives to one degree or another, but Christ is all. You're going to suffer, but Christ is all, and he's the only one that is immovable and beautiful. And even if the very ground below us, as Psalm 46 would say, is, were to give way, if the ground below us were to give way, he is still the worthy object of our delight He's, he's the only one that even though the ground below us is moving, he will never move, that we can trust him even in those kinds of extreme circumstances, that he is our present help and refuge in those times of trouble. That's the, the message of First Peter. That's what Peter is wanting us to see so we can lay down our religious formulas and, and turn to the chosen and precious cornerstone of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us towards that end. Lord Jesus, we just come to you right now and we delight in you. We thank you. We praise you. Spirit, would you just even move in our hearts in such a way to help us see Jesus for who he really is? The one that knows all, knows our every thought. The one that is even holding us together in this very moment the creator and sustainer of everything, things we have not even discovered or known or could never see or never will see, Lord Jesus, you hold those things together right now. Um, you are all powerful. You are all glorious. You are all holy. And Jesus, we just profess that you are beautiful. You are delightful. You are worthy of our praise.
Would you forgive us when we um, don't see you as we ought? When we choose other things, Spirit, would you help us to see those other things, maybe even things within the church world that we're choosing, but they're absent of Jesus? Spirit, would you give us good godly grief of those things we're choosing that we know have nothing to do with Jesus? Would you break the chains of those struggles in our life and free us to delight in the Lord Jesus above all and in all? And would you make us this church? Holy Spirit, we we want to be a gospel-centered people, but even that, we can't make ourselves this gospel-centered people. We need you to do the miraculous work that only you can do. It's not within us to treasure Jesus in this way, but you love to work in us and through us for your good pleasure to make us this kind of people, so we ask you for it. Um, Not that just people would experience that, but that we would know and treasure Jesus in this way. So we love you. We thank you. Work in us even now. In Jesus' name, amen.